now, America's number one show on pop culture and politics. It's hope time. It's peace time. It's healing time. It's hope time. It's peace time. It's the Michael Medved Show. Louder! The Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth for people who don't remember those inspiring words about it's hope time, it's healing time, it's peace time. That was Jesse Jackson a long time ago. But is it hope time, healing time, peace time for the Republican Party? You know who's asking that question? It's a lot of Democrats and a lot of liberal sources in the media, all of whom are talking about the great big red wave. Will that come to fruition? Uh, there's good news all around us. There's good news right here in Seattle because with the rain coming down, and it's due to rain today, the air quality is somewhat better. We no longer have the distinction, and I didn't want to harp on this because I'm kind of a local promoter. I love this city, and I love this area, and I'm glad for the Northwest. And now it's acting a little bit more like the Northwest because it's raining and we no longer have the distinction of supposedly having the worst air quality of any major city in the world. That was a, uh, an aberration, and it was brief. But is it actually deeply reflected uh, by the, uh, the concern about climate change? Can you blame climate change for the wildfires and for the, the smoke coming down and ruining the air in Seattle? That's what Democrats are saying. It's one of the uh, problems for that particular party, which is beset by problems right now. Even candidates who are supposed to be sure winners are facing very real challenges. There's this from the Emerson College polling national survey. It shows that President Biden, with a 53% disapproval rating, a 39% approval rating. In other words, he's underwater by 14 points. This reflects a six percentage point drop in Biden's approval since last month and a four percentage point increase in the president's disapproval. On the generic congressional ballot, 46% of voters say, yep, I'm planning to support the Republican candidate. Only 41% the Democratic candidate. That is a margin of five points which should lead to at least, if that turns out to be true, a 30-seat gain in the House of Representatives, and yes, would indicate a very big chance of actually taking the Senate as well. Among those who say they are almost certain they will vote this no November, uh, by the way, are you almost certain to vote this November, or do you think that the vote is a waste of time somehow? If you do, by the way, you can give us a call, 1-800-955-1776. It's very important to vote this November, and we have two individuals coming on the show, uh, one of whom is a candidate right here in the state of Washington, uh, running for King County Prosecutor, which is a crucial element if you're going to be fighting crime. We'll be talking to Jim Farrell and then uh, we'll be speaking to Lon He Chen, who is electrifying the political world. He really is, uh, could become the very first Republican in uh, since 2006 to win a statewide election for controller, which is a crucial, crucial post controlling the state's finances in California. That's right. 
the phrases Republican uh, a winner and California, those don't normally fit together, but Lonnie Chen may be breaking that mold. We'll also be speaking about uh, the situation with the collapse of the British Conservative Party. Does that have a warning sign for Americans on either side or any side? We will get to that as well on the Michael Medved show. The uh, Among those who say they are almost certain they will vote in November, congressional Republicans lead by 10 percentage points. That's 51% to 41%. Now, that key number there is at 51%. That means a majority of people who say they are sure they're going to vote uh, are already over on the Republican side. So even if the undecided go overwhelmingly for Democrats in all of these polls, and this is what is uh, that's so important to note, they show Republicans gaining ground and enjoying the lead, even in New York State, where The Hill magazine, following the Michael Medved show and what we've been talking about all week, is talking about the fact that in New York they have a real race for governor. It is, according to the most recent polling, four points that separates Lee Zeldin, the conservative congressman from Long Island, against the incumbent governor, Kathy Hochul, who is being told by a number of editorialists and commentators on the Democratic side, hey, lady, you, you better get going because you've got a race here, and that could be an epic upset if, if Lee Zeldin wins the governorship of New York. Uh, he instantly becomes a national figure. And uh, it would be an amazing development. Look, why is this going on? It seems to me it's going on because partially Joe Biden has made the mistake of uh, avoiding hiding, which he ought to do. The more Joe Biden exposes himself to the media and becomes sort of the subject of conversation, the worse it is for his party. He has a perfectly plausible excuse. We're talking about nuclear war here. We're talking about a, a recession that could end up being very painful. It could be a worldwide recession. That's part of what got rid of uh, Liz Truss in uh, Great Britain. We will talk about that and lessons for the United States as well. But uh, with all of that going on, for President Biden, the normal thing would be say, look, uh, my party has outstanding leaders. We have outstanding candidates. They can speak for themselves. But for him to go home to Pennsylvania, and yes, he's originally from Scranton, Pennsylvania, as we all know. And Delaware, anyway, has is dominated by Philadelphia media markets just because of where it is and uh, not having a, a huge city of its own. Uh, the, the point about this is Biden coming home to Pennsylvania to uh, campaign for John Fetterman, really? And, and all of a sudden, John Fetterman got dressed up. He was actually wearing a, a tie, a sky blue tie, and a jacket, and no hoodie, and the tattoos not exposed, and he was campaigning with Joe Biden. Uh, is that helping John Fetterman the polling shows no and uh, there is an incredible effort at this point now to unite Republicans behind Mehmet Oz and that's what's going on the front page of the Seattle Times today today wake up and am greeted by 
basically uh, front page news with the Seattle Times reporting that the most recent polling shows a huge surge for Tiffany Smiley, our Republican candidate for Senate who's been a guest on this show, who is now closing the gap with uh, Senator Murray. And why? Well, Senator Murray sent out a tweet yesterday which blamed climate change for the wildfires. And not explicitly and certainly not scientifically, but she said this, and this is the kind of thing in which the Democrats are just so incredibly out of touch. She said, for the second day in a row, Seattle has some of the worst air quality in the world. The air outside isn't safe, especially for our kids. Let me be absolutely clear. Climate change is a crisis that is hurting all of us. Uh, look, they have fires that, through a combination of uh, in incompetence and circumstance, they've been uh, unable to put out. They aren't even some of the biggest wildfires we've had recently. The idea that the wildfires are due to climate change is ridiculous. The fire season has been less devastating this year than it was last year. So what's the story with trying to blame climate change, long-term climate change for this crisis? We will get to that, but we'll be speaking first up to one of the most exciting candidates on the ballot anywhere, Lanhee Chen, about to win a statewide race for Republicans. Coming up. On the Michael Medved Show, it is a pleasure to welcome back to our show Lonnie Chen, who is a candidate for the Republican Party and really for the state of California and its future, running for controller of the state of California. And he has been amazingly endorsed by the Los Angeles Times and the Sacramento Bee and uh, liberal uh, newspapers in California, despite his status as a lifelong conservative and a fellow of the Hoover Institution. What do you think is the secret, Lonnie, the, that uh, has allowed you to connect with so many people, many of whom have never voted for a Republican before? Well, it's great to be back with you, Michael. And, and I'll just add one more. We got the endorsement of the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, oh, come today, on. The, uh, the, the, uh, the, the hometown paper of my opponent, Malia Cohen. Uh, I, look, I think that the state of affairs in California is such that there is great frustration with the fact that our state has gotten out of the problem-solving business. You know, we have challenges in California with homelessness, public safety. Our public education system is faltering with too many students left behind. Uh, and I think all of these problems together, folks want accountability for where the state is spending its money. And when you spend, as California does, $300 billion a year without any meaningful accountability for that money, no demand of, of, of any kind of result for what we're actually spending our money on, I think at some point even the most diehard progressives get frustrated with, with a lack of accountability. I mean – the L.A. Times editorial board, in their endorsement of me, said straight out, California needs a fiscal watchdog, and the controller, which is the position I'm running for, needs to be as independent from the party in power as possible. And it's the confluence of those things, Michael, that I think is bringing people 
to look at at uh, at candidacy before party and that is what i hope will be the trend that will carry the day on november the 8th i i know i remember years ago there was a democratic senator named william proxmire in wisconsin who used to give out the Golden Fleece Award, and he would give it out every week, finding some kind of appalling government waste of money. Uh, first of all, that might be a good idea for you to give out that kind of award yeah. when you serve yeah. as controller. But is there a more grotesque waste of taxpayer money at every level than the uh, high-speed bullet train that uh, they may never, ever complete in the state of California? Well, it, the problem with the bullet train is is several fold. One is it's it's way over budget. You know, when they initially thought this thing was going to cost maybe a few billion dollars, now we know it's going to cost over a hundred billion. And what they promise is nowhere near what they've actually delivered in terms of meaningful track. In fact, they, they've really only laid the foundation for about eight or nine miles of this train, which is supposed to run several hundred <laughs> miles. I mean, it's it's. It's remarkable. And and the Los Angeles Times did an expose several months ago and found that a lot of the money that had been paid had gone to foreign contractors who hadn't even delivered on the promises they'd made. So, yeah, it's a big problem, and it's something the controller can audit, and it's one of the things I would focus on uh, right right out of the gate. But you know that's only one example. We talk about Golden Fleece. I'll give you the Golden Fleece of the day goes to the city of San Francisco, who we just discovered are spending $1.7 million to build a single toilet. A single public commode is going to cost $1.7 million and take three years to construct. Now, if, if, you don't, if you don't think of that as an example of excess and, frankly, stupidity, that even the Arts Commission in San Francisco has to sign off on the construction of this darn thing. Uh, I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. California, we've got some problems, but the $2 million toilet takes the cake. Well, again, that's not the golden fleece. That's the golden uh, potty. And uh, again, one of the things that uh, Democrats have accused President Trump of is having gold fixtures in his washroom. Would these toilet seats be actual gold, or it just seems that way because of the expense? I hope they're heated, uh, you know, <laughs> or, or, or provide a nice, uh, nice ambiance for the person using them. But you know, th- this is what happens when you don't have accountability. This is what happens when you have a one-party monopoly, and 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 it's not uncommon. We see it in states across the country. We see excess in states where there's no check and balance, and that's why I think this is a valuable position to run for and to seek to bring that balance back to my state. Okay, in terms of uh, your fellow Republicans in California, it's been a long-time dream of a lot of people. I mean, I wrote a lengthy article for Commentary Magazine about it 10 years ago, about how the Republican Party can become relevant and competitive again, even in a place like California. If you were giving advice to your fellow candidates, to your fellow conservatives, what would be the most important priority for making the Republican Party a viable alternative for people in the Golden State? Uh, I have a couple of thoughts. One is have ideas. I think too often uh, Republican candidates over the years have been very good at criticizing the status quo 
but not particularly good at coming up with their own ideas about how to address the challenges that the state faces. Now, the controller in California is not fundamentally a policymaking job, but it is a job where you can make recommendations and offer your thoughts. And one of the things I've said is, listen, we need to have a whole set of ideas about how to address these challenges. But even within the context of the controller's office, what are the three or four specific things I want to do? Bring transparency, take the audit function, and make sure we're addressing challenges the state faces, et cetera. So number one is have ideas. Number two, I think it's really important for, uh, in these states that are particularly diverse, California and other states certainly fit the bill, make sure that you are meeting people and voters where they are. And in the case of California, that means making sure that Hispanic voters and Asian voters and African-American voters across the state are hearing the message and making sure they understand that the way we view the electorate is not to slice and dice people based on their ethnicity, but to say, I understand and I see you and I want to understand the issues that you're confronting and I want to tell you what I think we can do to make them better. So I think that's very important as well. And, and, and then the last thing I would just say is people have to invest in, in, in changing the political system in these states. And, and I talk to people who are uh, donors and supporters in politics all the time, and a lot of them have lost hope in California. Heck, a lot of voters have lost hope in California. And so I remind them that when you lose hope and you don't invest, you don't put back into those states, it only gets worse. And so it's important that when we look at states like Washington and Oregon and California, where it doesn't seem like there's hope, people need to recognize the only way you change the status quo is by actively going out and doing it. And that's why the support of so many Californians and people around the country for my campaign has been invaluable. And I hope that support continues. We'll, we'll post information about Alani Chen and about his campaign for controller of the state of California. And it's not too late. You can make a difference in this campaign. And if you've been thinking about actually investing in the future of a more viable, uh, more constructive, uh, more effective Republican Party and building a Republican majority, uh, check out Lonnie Chen. Uh, it's at michaelmedved.com. Godspeed and hope to be celebrating with you uh, on Tuesday night, oh, less than three weeks from now. We'll be right back on The Medved Show. On The Michael Medved Show, uh, there is in the New York Times, yes, the New York Times, America's leading organ of uh, liberal opinion, and it is. And they have a, uh, a new piece by David Brooks uh, entitled, Why Republicans Are Surging. And he writes, over the past month or so, there's been a rumbling across the land. And yes, you can hear it. You can even feel it. And the news is not good for Team Blue. In the latest New York Times-Siena College poll, 49% of likely voters said they plan to vote for a Republican for Congress. Only 45% said they plan to vote for a Democrat. Last month, Democrats held a one-point lead. So, in other words, the Democrats have sunk by six points net in, uh, in just a month. The uh, poll contains some eye-popping numbers. Democrats were counting on abortion rights as a big issue gaining the broad support among female voters, it doesn't seem to be working. Over the past month, the gender gap, which used to favor Democrats, has evaporated. In September, women who identified as independent voters favored Democrats by 14 points. 
now women who identify as independent voters favor Republicans by 18 percentage points. Uh, okay, it's, this is a monumental shift. That's a 32-point shift in a month. Overall, Republicans lead among independents by 10 points. If Republicans win independent voters by 10 points, then they're... There are shocking outcomes that are possible everywhere. And one of the things that is making a difference, of course, it's inflation. Everybody feels it. Everybody's worried about a recession coming and uh, a, a recession coming, making it more difficult to actually put the brakes on inflation at the same time. But it's also the issue of crime because this has been mishandled, shamefully handled by the Democrats. Frankly, it should have been a bigger issue for Republicans in the election of 2020. It uh, could have made uh, a difference in lots of races, including those two races in Georgia that gave uh, the Democrats control, one hopes temporarily, of the U.S. Senate. But uh, the reason it's such a powerful issue is because the Democrats are just so wrong on this. We're going to be talking about the issue of crime uh, with uh, a candidate for a nonpartisan office, which is prosecutor of King County, Washington, uh, Jim Farrell. King County, of course, the county where Seattle is. Uh, but uh, in Philadelphia, there's another DA, uh, an extreme leftist. Uh, named Larry Krasner, uh, strongly backed by John Fetterman and uh, backed, uh, one would appear, by, by Joe Biden, who was just out campaigning with Larry Fetterman, with uh, John Fetterman in, uh, in Pennsylvania. This is the district attorney of uh, Philadelphia trying to blame Republicans for pointing out that we have a real problem with violent crime in this country. Uh, listen to the DA, clip 12. Part of the Republican playbook, as you well know, is to point a finger at large, diverse cities and say large, diverse cities are lawless. Does that remind you of anything? You ever heard that before? Those of you in the press are students of history. You're aware of the Southern strategy. What we see here is the same old playbook, which is about coded and racist messaging. It's about blaming the biggest city in Pennsylvania with the most diverse population for having the same national struggle that we have with gun violence everywhere and even having increases that are less than the committee's counties. Less than the committee's counties? Uh, look, Philadelphia has skyrocketing crime. Everyone acknowledges it. You can't deny it. The number of murders, the number of assaults, the number of shootings. And that, of course, has to do with the idea of treating justice as a revolving door, uh, not keeping people behind bars who need to be behind bars. Uh, there's, um, uh, for instance, in Pennsylvania, right where Larry Krasner, the DA of Philadelphia, was talking, uh, CNN went out to talk with voters. And here's what one citizen told the network, which is kind of amazing to hear. Uh, listen, clip 13. I'm voting based on um, our economy and um, based on the crime. Sharon Jackson said the country is moving in the wrong direction. 
I go to the grocery store and I'm like, oh my goodness, this cost me $250. Oz has more to offer to me. And to, I think that he has a lot more to offer to our, our state. Okay, they're talking about uh, Dr. Oz versus uh, John Fetterman, which is, I think, the way it's going to go. It's going to go for Dr. Oz, and it should. Why? Joe Scarborough, who, of course, is no deep-seated conservative, had this to say on MSNBC, blasting Democrats. Uh, listen, this is clip four. When you have cops quitting left and right in Philadelphia because they don't feel like, you know, they're, they're not going to risk their lives so they can arrest people who are going to be out on the street the next day. And then you have progressives telling people in Philadelphia, telling these people, oh, you're wrong. Don't believe your lying eyes. Don't believe the fact. There's something wrong for you for being afraid to go to work. There's something wrong with you for being afraid to go home, as they were talking about right there. It is just really progressives on crime in places like Philadelphia and New York are so extraordinarily clueless. It's mad. And yet you see I can't, you see it in these focus groups. OK. And uh, you see it in Oregon as well, which is another place where Republicans could elect the first Republican governor since 1982. Uh, that's 1980s. That's 40 years. Uh, listen to Christine Drazen, Republican nominee for governor and front runner, talking about her opponent, uh, Tina Kotek. Listen, this is clip 11. You know, Tina Kotek is the original defund the police candidate. She did not support police even when rioters were attacking a police station. It's stunning to me that she would talk now like she supports law enforcement. I will support law enforcement. As governor, I will fully fund state police. As governor, I will support law enforcement because we need it in our communities. Our communities are less safe today because we have fewer police on our streets. Our, our police officers ensure community safety. They ensure that, that we actually have in laws that are enforced. We deserve that, we need that, and as governor, I will ensure that that is our future. That's uh, exactly the point she should be making. And Portland was during the uh, May and uh, the riots after May of 2020 that went on and on and on. They had riots every night in Portland. And, of course, they should make support for the police and support for public safety an issue. And the idea that it's racist, as Larry Krasner tried to suggest, that's outrageous. Uh, in his column about the Republican surge, uh, the uh, David Brooks for the New York Times makes the point that the Democrats, if they want to have any chance of competing in this election coming up in just a couple of weeks, uh, need to take a couple of lessons to heart. Number one, it's hard to win consistently if voters don't trust you on the top issue. And the top issue right now is the economy. All the polls show Americans trust Republicans more on economic issues. Uh, number two, Democrats have a crime problem. You just heard about it. Uh, number three, Democrats have not won back Hispanics. In 2016, Trump uh, won 28 percent of the Hispanic vote. Four years later, in 2020, Trump won 38 percent. 
This year, as William Galston noted in the Wall Street Journal, recent surveys suggest Republicans will once again win about 34 to 38 percent of the Hispanic vote. In Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis is leading the Democrat Charlie Crist by 16 points among Hispanic likely voters. Isn't that amazing? So what does it all mean? Frank Luntz uh, talks about what he foresees after Election Day. Coming up on the Medved Show. On the uh, Michael Medved Show, uh, the election is coming up. And it is getting truly exciting. And one of the aspects about this election is that uh, this new Emerson poll that was taken showed that there was a very big difference between people who were sure they were going to vote and people who were not sure they were going to vote. And the people who were not sure they were going to vote were much more split. The people who were sure they were going to vote were showed Republican preference about 10 points up. This is part of the reason that what we're covering this hour, which is the likelihood of some even unexpected, uh, people would say miraculous Republican victories in places like Oregon and places like California with Lonnie Chen, uh, with a number of congressional districts in California, with congressional districts in Oregon. In Rhode Island, there's a congressional district that actually since pre-colonial times has been a left-wing congressional district. The second district in Rhode Island, where there's a former mayor of Cranston, Rhode Island, Alan Fung, who is way ahead of his Democratic opponent. This is after a 20-year Democratic incumbent was retiring. This is going on across the country and that's what a wave means but uh, Frank Luntz uh, who is actually a very very smart insightful uh, tough political analyst says the problems won't be over after election day in 2022 and what he expects is with Democrats primed to lose a bunch of races that they will borrow a, a leaf out of uh, a fairly shameful Republican book and uh, deny the election results. This is part of what's wrong with election denial. Is It's not just one side doing it. If the other side does it, if nobody accepts the results of the election, even when they're clear, even when they're overwhelming, it's a problem for the country. Here's what Frank Luntz uh, talked about after dealing with some of the realities and some of the focus groups that he uh, uses. Clip 14. I want to relate this back exactly two years ago, because it was two years ago next week that you had me on this show, and I said that Trump on election night would be leading. But on the hours and days that followed, Biden would catch up, move ahead, and would eventually be elected president. I'm here to say to you now, that there are enough election deniers out there, candidates running, that are going to lose and going to claim that they won and they won't accept the election results. I am scared to death and I'm doing this a week earlier 
so that you can replay this and replay this and replay this. We are going to have a problem in this country if Senate candidates, governor candidates, secretary of state candidates lose by two or three percent and claim the election is stolen. And I'm warning the markets now that I don't think we're going to have a clear result on election day. And uh, that, that, by the way, puts him in a minority. Most people are suggesting there will be a clear result, particularly on the House side. The Senate is complicated. You know why the Senate is complicated? It's complicated because of the system they have in Georgia. It is extremely likely that with two flawed candidates, uh, Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock, that neither of them will get a clear victory this time. They'll both be under 50%, in which case, in Georgia law, they have a runoff where you can't vote for a third-party candidate. You can't vote for anybody else. Uh, the, uh, the idea is that uh, people who are supporting uh, uh, Herschel Walker are probably more loyal in terms of partisan party outlook. They are going to vote for a Republican because the so much of the attack on Herschel Walker has not been based on policy. It's been based on personality and personal history. So would that give him a uh, an edge in a runoff, which won't be settled until December? And is it possible that that would be the single race that would determine which party controls the Senate? Sure, it's possible. That's the way it was last time. And uh, this time, one hopes that uh, Republicans would not blow the race uh, in behalf of Democrats during that period between the normal election day, November 8th, and a month later when they vote in that runoff in Georgia. Uh, with all of this uh, coming forward, there was uh, Joe Biden trying to make his closing arguments as we approach the midterms. This is the president of the United States talking about some of our economic problems that are looming in the immediate future. Clip three. Republican leadership in Congress has made it clear they will crash the economy next year by threatening the full faith and credit of the United States for the first time in our history, putting the United States in default unless, unless we yield to their demand to cut Social Security and Medicare. Okay, this is not true. There is no demand to cut Social Security and Medicare. Part of what they're talking about is not to cut it, but to reduce the growth in Social Security and Medicare, to reduce the uh, growth in uh, the deficit spending that is involved. And uh, Biden then was described the Republican economic agenda as he sees it in uh, what are meant to be memorable and alliterative terms. Uh, listen, this is clip five. And they're gonna raise big farmers profits. They're doing fine, big farmers. They're not hurting at all. And they're gonna raise your health insurance premiums. It's mega, mega trickle down. Mega, mega trickle down. The kind of policies that have failed the country before and will fail it again. Okay, this is a rough case for the president to make. Because if you look at the judgment of the American people during Donald Trump's four years as president of the United States, and yes, he was four years president of the United States, 
most people looked at the economy. They looked at their 401ks. They looked at how things were going. Uh, inflation, savings, investments, pretty good. It was a mega, mega trickle down. Uh, how many people out there would prefer an economy like what we are facing now with the cost of gas, the cost of interest rates, the cost of getting a mortgage, that the, the general economic hardships that we have today, how many people prefer that to what was the case, say, in, oh, 2018, 2019, in the middle of the Trump presidency? And uh, who is to blame for inflation? Uh, Chris Cuomo had a, a pretty interesting and direct and surprisingly honest answer on that for a member of the Cuomo family. Uh, this is Chris Cuomo 6. Voters most concerned with the economy favor Republicans overwhelmingly. The margin is 2 to 1. Does Biden deserve the blame, as every GOPer says? Yes. Why? He's the president. It's on his watch. The cost of gas, 241 before him, 383 now. It's up 59%. Cost of eggs, up 30% year over year. Leads people to be down on the economy. How do we know? 57% say their financial situation's getting worse. Only 23% say it's getting better. All bad for Biden. But what did he do that was wrong? Well, he was president at the time. Okay, that's, that can be enough in politics, but is it enough for you in terms of your analysis? He forced too much money into the economy and spent too much on programs. That's the GOP argument. That's why there is inflation, they say. Okay, and uh, that is a very plausible reason why there is inflation. But the fact is that uh, Joe Biden, in his limited campaign appearances, because most Democrats uh, who are actually with a chance of winning are not eager to have the president draw them uh, down, uh, because the president is not popular. Most people don't approve of the job that he's doing, and they don't approve of the job that he's doing precisely for the reasons that uh, Chris Cuomo made very clear, which is the economic difficulty and pain and challenge that normal Americans fear. And, and when I say fear, this is a, a very, very important point for Republicans to make is uh, not that basically we're ruined, we're destroyed, but that unless we change course in a dramatic way, and I do hope in the last three weeks as this primary approaches, as not this primary, the general election approaches on November 8th, uh, Republicans will make it clear the way things could change for the better. Uh, not uh, ruining the fa full faith and credit of the United States, not the disasters that Joe Biden is predicting, but something actually beneficial in a substantive, measurable way on behalf of this greatest nation on God's green earth. Fred Dreyer here for a product.